So hello and welcome to the Retroscripts Fireside Stories Human Libraries. Uh, with this video podcast, I'm truly looking to improve connection and storytelling, not only in my immediate community, but worldwide as well. I truly, truly believe that one of our problems as the human race is that we have social media platforms where we post little snippets, the exciting parts of our lives, but we don't truly all the time put the whole truth out there. The issue with this, we don't take the time to truly listen to each other's stories and find connections that would tie us together regularly. The human journey in my belief is made up of so many layers and what I wanna do is peel back that layers to get to know who you are underneath. My goal is to reconnect, slow down, and travel back to a time when humans sat in front of fires and shared their best exciting tales, the good, the bad, and the ugly, as verbal stories that were later passed on as legacies. Um, today, I am enjoying a green tea with ginger and just a little bit of lemon. Um, I need a little spice in my day today. And my guest today is Ben Skinner, and I am super, super, super excited to have you here. Uh, ben enjoys hot chocolate with marshmallows, and his favorite quote is You Are Not Alone by Oprah Winfrey. Um, he told me that he remembers her specifically looking into the camera and saying it as if it was staring into his soul. And at the time, he was really felt alone. So I believe it was a truly magical moment. Um, I've known Ben for a long time now. I can't even tell you how long. And I believe we first met, uh, you were actually Maria. And I was your coach at the Burlington Rugby Club. And I honestly can say that I've enjoyed and loved creeping you on social media and <laughs> your journey from where you started, in my mind, where you started and where you are today. Um, as a member as the LG, of the LGBTQ uh, community, I'm excited that you're ready to share publicly and on my video podcast, your life and your journey. So before we start, Ben, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, so yeah, I think yeah, I think we met when I was probably fifteen or sixteen. I'm not entirely sure, but it was quite a while ago. Um, and I remember you being one of the first um, kind of like more open members of the LGBTQ plus community um, adults that I had met. So that was a really big deal to me. So I want to say first off, thank you for that, and also thank you for having me on your on your podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, so I haven't publicly told my kind of like coming out journey and that kind of stuff um, to the extent that I'm going to tell it today. Um, so it's going to be a little bit personal. I hope I don't get too emotional, but if I do, I apologize. Um, <laughs> um, but I myself am an AFAB, meaning assigned female at birth, non-binary person. So um, yep, when I was born, uh, they were like, that's a girl. And <laughs> I had no say in that, which is awesome, but it's okay. It happens. Um, but I now identify as a non-binary person. So that means that I don't fall within the traditional gender binary. Um, and I'm also pansexual. So I'm typically attracted to people of all genders, um, including those who do not fall within the traditional binary. Um, so that's just personal bit on myself. Um, and I was never really in the closet, which is kind of hilarious because I'm actually doing my coming out story even though I don't really consider myself ever having hid my sexuality or my gender I kind of just didn't announce it um so that's kind of an interesting it's an interesting component of my story that I'm gonna tell it's kind of neat because I'm the same way I never came out I just 
I guess I was just out. It was just part of who I was. So that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, when I was younger, I used to wear all boys clothing most of the time. When I got a little bit older, I wore girls clothing as well. It was like this weird combination of trying to distinguish if I actually liked it or if I was just falling into social pressure. So that was a little bit um, strange. But the first time I kissed a girl, um, you know, I was it was around the same time that most people had their first like innocent kiss. So really not I really wasn't in any closet whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Um, But what's interesting about that is and I think that part of the reason why I want to share my story is I think that even though it's unique in a sense that not a lot of people come out because most people are hetero cis people. Um, my coming out story, I think, is actually it r- will probably resonate a lot with um, with young gay and trans individuals. Um, but in terms of if there's anybody here watching this uh, this podcast who felt like they weren't in the closet, but then came out to their parents and found out that they were in a closet of some sort, this story is definitely for you. Um, so I, yeah, I kind of like dated girls and boys my like throughout high school and those weird awkward puberty years but I didn't talk about it with my family like I didn't even tell them when I was seeing boys um so it didn't really make any sense to me to tell them when I was seeing girls either um I just kind of was super independent went with the flow did my thing um but uh I want to start I guess by telling my first coming out story because I actually have two of them um since I'm also trans um so Coming out the first time was a very, was a very painful, but monumental experience in my development. Um, So I just turned 18, I was going off to university and then I did. um, And I had also just started dating a girl before I left for university. Um, Super great, we were super happy. We had been best friends beforehand. So it was a really lovely thing, especially like, going into a new environment and situation, at least you have that person to fall back on, you have someone you can call, that kind of stuff, especially because I wasn't really that close with my family. Um, And so I came back for reading week in my first year, which is um, the week of Thanksgiving for my university. Um, And I was visiting my family for Thanksgiving. Um, My brother had a hockey game in a city about two hours away from where my parents' house is. So I was really excited to go to that. go to his hockey game and just you know hang out with the fam for a little bit um as a just a brief background note my dad and I never really we never really saw eye to eye when I was growing up we got we had a lot of tension a lot of arguments I kind of especially in my later years just kind of stayed out of the house um to to kind of avoid that because we really did rub each other the wrong way we're very similar but we at the time had very different values And so that was the cause. We're both very strong personalities, very loud, very outgoing, but then also we cared about completely different things. So we had a hard time understanding each other. Um, But anyways, we are driving to my brother's hockey game, uh, me, the whole family. Um, And uh, super weird. My dad made a joke, a very distasteful one about gay people. Um, And I was obviously like, hey that's not okay I was kind of uncomfortable but I also I think I had this like newfound like feeling of freedom as an adult like I actually felt like in that moment I could step up and say something about it so I kind of said like hey that's not funny like you probably shouldn't tell jokes like that 
um, I find it distasteful. And we got into an argument. So he got really, really frustrated um, with me and really, yeah, quite angry. Um, and it continued to progress because I also got heated. So we were both just kind of arguing. And um, at one point he says to me, what's your problem? Are you gay? And like, I'm not sure why he wasn't expecting the answer I gave him because I never really felt as though I was in the closet. Um, but I said, yeah, I'm actually dating so-and-so, which is the girl I was dating at the time who my parents knew because she had been over to the house and stuff. Um, and I just kind of blurted it out um, under that kind of like pressure cooker situation. And also just part of it, I think was out of spite maybe, yeah. or just because I wanted to prove a point of you're making jokes about something that I am and I'm sitting in this car right now and I'm not okay with it. And I'm trying to tell you that. Um, but apparently it came off as a huge surprise, even though it did not come off as a surprise to anyone else in the world really that knows me. Uh, so I found that very strange. Um, but it, it resulted in just the rest of the car ride being um, really, really unpleasant and, be like I kind of just sat there and got yelled at for all the things that was wrong with being gay and you know yelled at for the, the religious card got played even though my family isn't really that religious which was very strange as well I think it was a lot of it was a lot of reactionary um politics that were being played lots of um you know like oh you're not going to be successful because people are going to look at you differently. Those kinds of random, I didn't, hadn't even, it wasn't even a discussion. It was just being, being yelled at. So it was very, um, it was very uncomfortable, very strange and very hurtful. Like, I think that's, I'm not going to go into the details of what was said, but there was a lot of really, really hurtful things that were said. Um, and after that, I like, I didn't even watch my brother's hockey game. Once we got to the arena, I, literally just sat outside, like didn't want anything to do with anybody at the moment, but especially not uh, my dad. Uh, my mom stayed really quiet. And this is kind of a, this is also an interesting component of the situation. I think a lot of people might be able to, to relate to this, but I had actually told my mom about the girl that I was dating beforehand. And I had also told my little brother, because my little brother is like one of my best friends. So he didn't even care, but both of them had said, you know, like, oh, are you like, are you planning on telling dad? And I was like, I don't know. And my mom actually advised against it. Like she said, you know what, maybe not yet. Now's not the time, um, which is okay. So when I blurted it out, I actually also put my family into a really awkward situation because my mom at that point knew that if my dad knew that she knew before him and didn't tell him, it would have made the whole situation worse, mm -hmm. which is a really it's a really strange dynamic because I felt so alone in that car and nobody said a single thing to defend me or protect me or anything. Uh, I was kind of used to that my whole childhood, but it was, it was really hard in that, like during that car ride. Cause you can't go anywhere too. You're in a car, you're stuck. You're, stuck. you're on, you're on the 401. You're not going anywhere. <laughs> um, but also like, I, knew, I, I know now and I knew after reflecting on the situation, even though I was kind of angry at my, at my mom and my brother for not coming to my defense, I understood the implication of what would, what would have happened if my mom had come to my defense in that moment, which is a really, 
that is, um, it's a hard thing to explain to people, but you know, people like I've, I, I've told this story privately to people before and they've said, Oh, I can't believe, you know, nobody said anything while you're in the car. And it's really hard to explain to people that sometimes it can, it can make things worse or it can, it can deteriorate the family unit to a point where it's not reparable because, um, because of the hurt and the damage that's caused. So it's just like, it, it's hard to explain, but I was very alone in that moment. But at the same time, I, I don't know if I would have asked my mom or my brother to do anything looking back on it. So for that realization, did it take you like a little bit of thought and like days to come to terms with that? Or did you just realize, you know what, I can't put my family in that situation? It took me years. Okay. I'm not going to lie. So after this whole incident, I ended up not talking to my family, like in terms of substance, like my mom would try to message me and I'd be like, yeah, I'm fine, you know, whatever. But I didn't really talk to my family. I completely separated myself from it because it was, there was just too much hurt. And I didn't have the, um, I didn't have the emotional capacity to deal with it. I like had just gone away to university um, like, it, so it was super hard, like school was hard, I was on my own. Um, you know, my, my girlfriend at the time was living in a different city. So I like, it's not like I could just hang out with her all the time. I, I was, uh, I was having a really tough time. And I couldn't, I couldn't muster up the emotional capacity to, to try and repair things with my family, or even just like even visit them or talk to them, I couldn't do it. Um, so and also I was, I was still angry about the whole situation. Like I was, ang I, I'm not going to lie. Like I was so mad at everything that was said. I was mad at the way my dad reacted. I was mad at the way my mom didn't react. I was mad at my brother because he didn't say anything either. Like it felt like I got hung out to dry, which again, like I said earlier, I understand now, but it was still really hurtful. Like it, it really, it was really hard to palate at the time, um, which leads me into my next component of my story, which is <laughs> being alone. Um, so for my, then I went on, continued my undergrad, was out of the house trying to do my best, but I ended up, I did okay in school. I got a little lost. I had definitely looking back, had a drug problem, um, definitely had an alcohol problem. And it wasn't the typical like, oh, school is hard. So I like to like, you know, relax on the weekends, but I was like getting high every day, drinking on weekdays and weekends. There is no like, oh, once I'm done my homework, like that didn't count. Like mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, I'm going to go to this exam wasted. Like, I don't care. You, that kind of, kind it of was like, or? yeah, it was so, I like was so anxious and depressed, but then also like, so, like so angry and didn't, wasn't able to put the work in to close that chapter of anger. So it just existed for years mm -hmm. instead of me concluding it. But at the same time, like I didn't have any help in concluding that. Like I didn't feel like my parents came to me. Like I didn't get an apology during those years. I didn't feel like, um, I didn't feel like there was anyone there for me. Like I, I tried and I had my, the girl, so the girl that I was dating, I ended up dating her for almost four years at, even despite this and she was probably my number one support system but I think that I was really missing my family like I, I am now and especially now I'm really close with my mom she's coming to visit me tonight after this uh after this podcast and 
I, and I, I used to be really close with my brother and it was really hard to feel separate, but then also feel like it's, it felt like that was what they wanted mm-hmm. it, to me because it felt like I always felt like the odd one out in my family, even in my extended family, but it just kind of exacerbated that feeling of just not belonging. And I held on to that anger for a really long time. And I definitely treated myself poorly throughout that time because of it, um, because I stopped caring about everything. Like I stopped caring about myself, I stopped caring about school. I stopped caring about rugby. I like just wanted to sit around and like get super high and literally just be a vegetable. Uh, so I, yeah, so I, I mean, I, and I survived through school, like something about, like I was anxious in regards to school, which actually forced me to do my schoolwork at least to a minimum. So I didn't like flunk out of school, but I had a terrible time. And honestly, I couldn't recall second and third year to you at all like that I was pretty messed up and I think I also blocked a lot of it out um so you know that's just kind of where I ended up but eventually I started to feel a little bit better which is really good I um you know I reconnected with some friends that I had made in first year which is really nice so by the time fourth year rolled around I think I had time to grow up and process and and make my own mistakes and do all these things. And even though I had to do it on my own, which was really hard, I still was able to do it. And I still had some opportunities. Like some people did reach out to me once they realized like you haven't talked to us for years, whatever, but I was still struggling with my family. And I finally, because of other things that were starting to look up around me, it was then that I was able to find that like emotional capacity to reach out to my family and like actually start talking to them again, which is good. And I think that that time I didn't realize how hard it was on my parents as well Mm -hmm. when I didn't talk to them, because I think what they thought would happen is that eventually it would blow over and we just go back to normal, but that didn't happen for me. And that's because it was such a hurtful experience and it was so contradictory to what I thought would be my experience as well like I because I hadn't been really in the closet like I never really tried to hide anything I didn't expect that to ever happen to me like I didn't ever expect for the things that were said when I came out to be said I I thought like oh like you know my family even though my dad like voted conservative he voted for Stephen Harper I was like even though he does that like oh it's mostly like a fiscal thing you know oh it's 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 not like that. I live in lower Ontario. Like I'm really lucky. We like have such our overall culture is relatively um, inclusive compared to a lot of places, but it still hurt so bad that I literally didn't like, I couldn't even like be in the same room as my dad. Couldn't even think about being in the same room. Right. So I think even though sometimes people like, obviously some people get it way worse. Like some people like get disowned by their families and all those things. But I think that what a lot of parents need to hear this is part of the reason why I wanted to come on here is just like not disowning your kid is not enough you know what I mean like as a parent would you ever say like oh yeah I feed them that's enough like yeah I like give them five bucks to buy pizza every day that's enough like that's not that's not what we need our parents for you're a full person you need the whole supportive yeah 
for sure. Exactly. Like just because you don't kick me out doesn't mean that I don't feel terrible every time I have to be in a room with you because I know that you are disappointed in what I am. Because I think that there's also, this is a misconception. It's obviously an older way of thinking, but there's that misconception that it's, this is a choice. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a choice, it's just what I am. And when you, like when, when somebody who raised you and who you looked up to your entire childhood, like tells you that what you are isn't okay, that throws you into this mental turmoil that it doesn't matter if you say the words like, I'm disowning you or not, it doesn't matter. Like that, it's not good enough to just not disown your child. Like it, like if you actually want to be the parent that we need, you have to understand that this is me and I just need you to love me and understand that this is fundamental to my happiness because it's, it, it's just not enough. So yeah, even it's, though my parents, oh, sorry, go uh-huh. ahead. I think as well as kids, you put all your heart out there. Like you look at your parents and you almost idolize them a little bit, right? Like Mm -hmm. they are your everything. And so for you, and I have a similar story as well, to have your heart like literally crushed and the outcome that you thought was going to be there, the shock just overwhelms you. So I can kind of understand why your body went into like a comatose kind of state of just being there and existing because that's all it could handle at that moment right so I can definitely understand that Mm -hmm. I'm I'm very fortunate for the fact that I was able to at least um exist Mm -hmm. and that's a very real I was really close to not like really really close like I had a lot of a lot of stuff I had to figure out in terms of my mental health um which is is honestly pretty regular for for people who are lgbtq plus and for people who don't understand what it's like to live in our world just know that sometimes it's a little bit poopy yeah and that's like not an awesome word to use but it's true like like i the we all know that the suicide rate of transgender individuals is considerably higher than any other demographic really and that's for a reason it's it's not just um, you know, it's not just our, our mental condition. It's definitely a whole combination of things, including social factors. And yeah, anyways, uh, beyond that, like, yeah, I just had a terrible time. Like I was awful in second and third year to myself. And I regret that. But at least I was able to just hang on long enough to start the healing process um, and, and just start talking about it with friends and start, you know, saying like, hey, why am I getting high every single day? And do I need to do that? And what negative repercussions is it having on me? Um, I think, yeah, like, I feel like I grew up a lot during those times just because I had to or else I wouldn't have survived them, I don't think. Um, Your choices, basically. <laughs> yeah, essentially, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I uh, was able to kind of ha- stick it out and pull through eventually. And yeah, once I started talking to my family again is also when I started legitimately like contemplating coming out as trans because so it was super weird growing up, even though gay was taboo um, and I'm not that old, like I'm only 24. So it's hilarious, like growing up, but um, even so recent as 10 years ago, gay was taboo, but trans was not even a, 
that wasn't even a thing really. Like it was very much something that was a joke, which is really unfortunate. And, and it makes me sad to think about back, like, you know, back when I was younger, even though I knew I was trans, um, I also knew that everyone else didn't really think that was a thing. So I, rem- and I remember telling myself, you know, oh, this is kind of a weird thing. And I, I, I reassured myself as a child, I was like, nope, I'm fine. I'm still capable of being a good person. I'm still capable of being a smart person. Um, but maybe I just won't talk about this right now, like openly, because I knew that it was something that was um, just not taken seriously. Um, and something that was very heavily made fun of, I think even more so than than being gay, I think for me in my experience, that was something that kids like really harped on the idea of being transgender. So um, I kept it quiet, but then eventually as an adult, I was like, okay, now maybe it's the time, like if I wanna really be happy and really just live my truth and be myself, it might be time to um, to kind of announce the world, like, hey, I'm trans, even though I never hit it. I always dress like a, like a, more masculine than most people. You know, I had already cut all my hair off at that point. Um, but I for, felt like maybe it would be a good thing to just come out and say it loudly because at the very least, then maybe other trans people who might be worried about coming out can like be like, hey, look, there's a person I know who's trans. And that's a whole, that was a whole other debate I had in my head with myself about, do I want to like, protect myself and stay quiet or do I actually want to come out with it obviously get backlash but then also be able to show people that like hey you've been interacting with a trans person this whole time it's really not that scary um and also maybe inspire other trans individuals who are um afraid of repercussions to just like live their truth or at least just think about living their truth um because I remember even though I wasn't able to outside of my brain be trans loudly I at the very least was able to do it in my head so I knew you know like I can just like imagine myself looking how I want to look and all those things instead of actually pursuing it but I finally got the courage to pursue it and then that meant I had to come out a second time to my family and that was when a little bit of fear set in <laughs> because I had just started to rekindle a relationship with them after many years of not really talking because of the first time I came out. So that was really, really scary for me. I think that was, but I also felt because I was alone for so many years, like, so I felt so alone. Um, and I felt like I had overcome that aloneness and I had had time to grow and become stronger and stuff like that, I realized that I was stronger. Like I didn't just feel stronger, but I definitely was. Like I I came out as trans to my friends and then I was like, you know what? I am so over this like fear thing. Mm-hmm. I, I was just so over it. I was, I was beyond like, and I was like, you know what? I went years without talking to my family. And if this goes badly, then that just kind of, for me, I was like, that solidifies that maybe we're just, not meant to be family and that happens sometimes like as as much as we like want to be connected to our biological family if it's not meant to be that doesn't mean that that doesn't mean that your world is done like you can make your own family you get to choose your family right so 
true. I definitely agree with that. Mm-hmm. And that's really important for a lot of people in the LGBTQ plus community. Um, you, you don't have to, you, you don't have to cling to a family that might not be right for you. If, if it's, if it's not there, it's not there. Like you, you need to do what's best for yourself. And if you need to make yourself a family, because a family, a family's there for love and care and support. And if that's not what you're getting from your biological family, that doesn't mean that that's the family you got stuck with. You can, you can choose your own and you can, it's literally like build a bear, but it's like build a family out of what you need and out of people who show you that love and that care and that, you know, support and respect that, and that sometimes that's what we have to do. So I said to myself, you know what, if I come out with this and it goes terribly, then, you know, I'm just going to have to figure it out. And that's the way it is, because if you want to live your truth, like sometimes you just have to come out and say it. And I I was tired of feeling like I was back in a closet that I originally thought I wasn't even in. It's very confusing to be stuffed into a closet that you didn't want to be in in the first place that most people spend their whole time trying to grovel out of. I was like, why am I back in this closet? I don't want I don't want to be hiding anymore. So I, instead of telling my parents directly though, I went on Facebook and did a classic like, hey everybody, I'm changing my name on Facebook right now to Ben. Um, Please don't delete me. I'm trans. What's up? I remember seeing that post actually. I loved it, loved it, loved it. Yeah, I remember my phone exploded after I posted that just with like so much love and care and support from so many people. And I like had a, I talked to a lot of my friends after it who had known me for years and they're like, that was not surprising whatsoever. And I was like, <laughs> I know. And they kind of, they thought it was hilarious. Um, they really, they thought it was interesting that I even had to come out too. So it shows how much they knew me in comparison to, you know, how much my parents knew me. Um, but anywho, I eventually later that day got a text from my dad and he was like, who's Ben Skinner? And I was like, me, I'm Ben Skinner. And which is a kind of comical because it's such a, it was such a weird conversation. Um, and then he tried to call me and I thought, you know what? I know the way my dad is. He kind of, he reacts in the moment and sometimes he says things he doesn't mean. And I was really unsure about taking the call. So I just didn't take it. And I think that that was something that felt really, really good for me as an adult being able to dictate the interactions that I have. Um, absolutely, because that's, and that's something you learn as an adult is you're, you're, not, you're able to set your own boundaries. You don't have your parents busting into your bedroom if they want to talk to you anymore. You don't have that. You're able to say, no, this is, this is where I'm at. You need to respect my space. And I will let you know when I'm ready to talk or when I wanna have a conversation because for a conversation to, to to go well, generally speaking, both parties kind of need to want to have the conversation. So at that point I was like, whoa, 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 that's really fast. We like need to cool off for a second. So I didn't answer the phone. Um, and I kind of actually, I didn't answer my parents for two days because then my mom tried to call me. I didn't answer for two days. And I said, I'm going to give you a couple of days. Um, I, I said, I'm not trying to ignore you, but I want to give two days of like thought and space to this. I was like, I'm not ready. And I told my mom, I'm not ready to talk right now. Don't want to talk about it. Um, so after a couple of days, we then like, they messaged me. Um, my dad sent me a text message and just, you know, said like, Hey, like, I want to talk. 
blah, blah, blah. But then after that said like a lot of really actually very, very positive things, um, which is a complete shock. This is again. So now I'm like on this roller coaster of continuously being emotionally shocked, but it went completely different than the first time I came out. So he, my dad apologized for the past. He apologized for having raised me as something that I wasn't, which I found extremely profound of him to even say, like that was beyond, like he, he like blindly voted conservative his entire life. Yeah. And very religious family, very conservative, like socially conservative family. But he, and, and the, like at, when I came out as trans, he was like on board. Like he was like, I like, you know, like this, I'm so sorry for like everything he was saying that he um like you know he was like oh we love you and we're proud of you no matter what and he like in his own my dad is um he's from Newfoundland so he has a very crude way of saying things sometimes but he said um in his own loving way he said that if he ever hears anybody say anything bad about me or my brother says and hears anything bad about me he said that he will beat the shit out of those people. And I think he meant it figuratively. Like, I think what he meant was he would defend me. Um, Showing his support and how much he would give for you, for sure. Yeah, exactly. In his own way, he tried his best to say, like, I love you. I care about you. I'm on your team. Let's do this. And that's, and I know that's what he meant. And he, again, he said it, said some (laughs) weird stuff like that. Like, he was like, if your brother, I told your brother, if he hears anything negative said about you and you being trans to beat the shit out of the person, I was like, okay, let's not do that. But (laughs) I appreciate the sentiment. So, um, but it was completely different. And um, I think that the first time I came out to them, it was, like the reaction was based on a lot of fear. Like part of what the whole thing was, was you're going to hell. You're not going to be successful because people are going to look at you differently. Um, People aren't going to take you seriously. People are going to treat you different. The world is going to be harder for you. And when I actually think about all the things that he was yelling at me in anger, what I actually hear now when I think about it is fear and that was a huge component. And I think that when I stopped talking to them for years, I think that was a really hard time for my mom. And if, I know it was for my mom because my mom even told me she was like, she like missed me a lot and she was really sorry and felt really like sad that t- during that time. But then my dad, she was saying that my dad also like something changed yeah. about him when he realized I just was taking my adult autonomy and not, not sticking around. I think um, I think it really hit him that I am self-sufficient and, and I can just leave. And I think that really, it did affect him in a way. Like he, he, apparently he got much more quiet and he, you know, didn't seem himself for those years either. Um, and my mom said he seemed really like to feel really guilty. And so I think that's like the second time I came out, I think he wanted to do it right. I wonder if he had his moment of introspection of himself. Like he, the first time he had to go through that quiet period to figure out, okay, what just happened, this change. And you technically forced change on him, mm-hmm. but it was change that had to be forced for him to open his eyes and kind of get to that next level, right? Mm-hmm. So now the second time around, obviously he knows 
you're going to be your adult self and just tell it as it is. And he can either get on board or, and I love that he did what he did and came out or accepted you in the way that he did. Mm -hmm. Me too. I like he, and he changed so much. It's funny. Um, shortly after that, he had to go to Memphis for a week to do a home inspect, to do his home inspection license, not super relevant, but he was in Memphis for a week. And he was saying that he didn't really know anything about Memphis. So he just like booked a random hotel. And apparently it was a hotel that um, was in a part of town where it was run completely by people of color. Um, and he obviously waltzed in there being from lower Ontario and was like, Hey, what's up? And, you know, being super nice to the, the woman who was the clerk, who was a nice black woman. And, um, she was really confused at first when he was talking to her. Cause my dad's white, like very visually, just like very Caucasian, got like blue eyes, light brown hair type. And he, um, and he, essentially this woman at the desk opened his eyes to the state of, um, of racism in that part of Memphis and opened his eyes to the amount of hatred that can exist if it's just allowed to cultivate in an environment. Exactly. And he, um, and he also went to his home inspection class and um, at all, it was all white men and they all had guns. And he was apparently actually kind of afraid at that point, even though he what is a white person, he was a little bit afraid because he was like, I don't know if I'm the same kind of white person as you because I like and interact with black people regularly and don't, I'm not racist. He was very conflicted, but when he came back from that, he came to my, he came to visit me um, at like in Waterloo and he sat on my bed with me, which I'm not gonna lie. I don't, I didn't remember the last time my dad had sat on my bed with me and just talked to me. So that was wild, but he sat on my bed with me and it was a mattress on the floor because I was broke as shit. And he um, told me about his experience in Memphis and we kind of brought it back to me coming out as trans. And he was just talking about how, uh, how much hatred there is in the world and how he doesn't want to contribute to it anymore. Yeah. And how it doesn't make any sense for people to hate each other because of how they look or because of what they are. He was so, and I think that, so that was also monumental in his, in his journey was seeing the racial tension, but then also being able to translate that back to the situation between him and I was, I I found that really profound. And like, I think people always used to say, oh, people don't change. People used to say that to me all the time. People don't change. People don't change, you know? you know, whatever a person is, they don't change. If someone cheats, they don't change all that kind of stuff. In every context, people will always say that. But I genuinely witnessed a full 180 yeah. of a man who was in his like 50s, yeah. a full 180 who grew up his whole life thinking one way and had to completely change it because he had this beautiful miracle child called Ben, who forced him to open his heart and his mind. Yeah. Um, and he like he's a completely different person now. Like he actually reads up on platforms and watches debates before he votes now. He doesn't just blindly vote conservative. He cares so much about me. Like we have a really good relationship now. We've been we're able to sit in the same room and enjoy each other's company, which we never like especially in my teenage years, we didn't do like, we didn't enjoy each other's company whatsoever. Like we're, he is 
like I've never seen someone grow so much in such a little amount of time as I have my dad. And so I think that was the, that was the second message that I wanted to get across in my, in my story was just that people do change and the world is changing. Like I wanted to kind of end on a message of hope and healing, because I think that that is a lot of us have hope, but what a lot of us need is healing. Um, and um, time helps people heal, but the world is changing. And my dad, even though he is a micro component of the world, he is a singular person. He is specifically a case study for how the world is changing too. It, it is this opening of eyes and hearts and this, like we're finding clarity as a, you know, a group of global citizens um, that yeah. is, yeah, and the world's never seen this. No. But the but the future is bright. We just have to keep pushing forwards and just keep working on ourselves. I worked on myself. My dad worked on himself. We came back together and we found common ground and we learned a lot about each other and a lot about ourselves that, you know, we wouldn't have learned through all of that that hardship and those those hard years. Like as a young adult, it felt like a really long time um, in the grand scheme of things. It really wasn't that long. So it just goes to show how quickly things can change. But how amazing of a gift that you gave him as well. I mean, you were like the catalyst that started kind of his awakening too, right? Mm -hmm. And like letting him almost into a piece of your life. Cause you could, you said it, you could have stayed in the closet and hid it the everything, but it wouldn't have been true to yourself, but it also wouldn't have been it wouldn't have given your dad the opportunity to be your dad and step up and be the person that he was supposed to be. So that is huge. I hope you do understand how big that is for you and that you do deserve some of the credit on that as well. Um, it's truly a gift, honestly. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I, I like to think that. Um, I think that my mom was really, really important in this whole thing too. I, I didn't talk about her a lot, but just keeping our she is the truly the glue that holds our family together and as cliche as that sounds she really is she was a massive component to just my dad figuring out how to navigate his like changing and learning and then also for me like I'm so glad that I reconnected with my family and that wouldn't have happened without my mom like she shows so much unconditional love and care and kindness to everybody she meets. But for me, I, obviously I'm, I'm her kid. I'm her firstborn, her, her daughter, <laughs> which I will always kind of be, but she was, I really do think uh, aside from myself and my dad, like we both did really great things in this experience. But I think that in the background, she was um, absolutely the one hanging on to all the ties and not letting us blow away. You know what I mean? That's magical too. Honestly, mm -hmm. it is. And you need that person, just that little, I call it the ass kicker, the little person that's going to like gently guide you, but like people are <laughs> kicking your ass the whole way. Right. <laughs> that's amazing. But I also wanted to add that this doesn't surprise me really the way that you handled your situation the way that you were on a decline, obviously, with your emotional health and your mental health and all that, but you picked yourself up. And thinking back to my coaching days with you, I like one of the things I remember is you tackled a girl and you turned and you helped her up. 
and I don't know if she was hurt. I don't know the complete situation, what was happening. But before you went after the ball and I'm like losing it on the sideline, like, what are you doing? But you made sure that person was okay. And then you moved on and you kept doing what you were doing. So I know that when you come at things, you come from heart and you come from soul. And like, I don't think there's really a malicious bone in your body. So your anger towards your dad and letting him back in, it doesn't surprise me at all. I can totally see that's the kind of person you are. And I'm happy that this happened to, not happy that your um, path happened to you, but it happened to somebody like you who was able to see the bigger picture and let people back in and share your story and all those magical things. Um, I think there was a third part to your story as well, right? Um, I think that was pretty much it. Like the lessons learned was like my big, the honestly part three would be where I'm at right now, which is I am having, I'm, I still have, you know, I still, I still have bad days. I still have days where I'm in a fog or I have a, you know, a week where I just don't feel, you know, I have a lot of mental health stuff that's going on, but right now I am really like, I am living my full truth and I've never, ever felt better in my entire life than I do now. I have my family behind me who I'm, I'm now building a relationship with um, that I didn't have before. Um, and I also am just like, I'm able to look in the mirror and be like, wow, that's me because I'm finally able to start, you know, I've started a little bit of tra physical transition. I've had to kind of put it on pause for rugby. So that's another thing I'm kind of battling with right now. But in respect to um, having found myself and having found clarity in the world in front of me, it like I am, I'm literally living my best life. That's so cliche too. Like I've been pumping this full of cliches lately for this whole <laughs> thing, but Honestly, I am, I'm living it. I'm able now because I was able to overcome all of that, like anger and that pain and that hurt and take that and turn it into something constructive. And now I've closed that chapter in my life. I'm able to put my emotional energy into other things, um, which I'm really thankful for. So that's why I'm so vocal in the trans community, especially in the trans athlete community as well. Like I'm, I'm able to put my, self out there and to do the emotional labor to talk about these issues obviously I haven't told this story publicly yet well now I guess I have but um, <laughs> aside from that just talking about little snippets of my experience has, has been a really really rewarding way of, of being able to connect with people being able to answer people's questions if they have them um, so I guess the third part of my story is just right now is the present and it. it being fantastic I love that. And you're right, exactly as you said, I'm about 10 years older than you. It gets better. Obviously you still have those hurdles, those moments of being low, the all that kind of stuff. But like you said, once you start living your true life and just saying, this is me, take it, leave it, whatever. You just, it's like a different kind of living. It's a different kind of life. And it's almost like your heart grows. I didn't know that like with all the heartbreak that I've gone through, I didn't know the pieces could get put back together. And I personally was convinced that I was an offcast, like it was just over basically. But once you start letting people in and letting things happen, and then you basically say F you to the world and just live your, it's just so much better. I love it and it's amazing. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate you sharing your story. Um, yes, it was filled with cliches, but 
<laughs> no, right? They're all true cliches and you're living proof that just being yourself and putting yourself out there, it works. Um, mm -hmm. I will add that I understand that for a lot of people that are transitioning or living the way they are, it's not always safe to put yourself out there. Yeah. And that there is some caution that needs to be taken. Um, but I love your story. Honestly, I do. I love my story too. I really do. And it's, it's a, it's a happy ending and some people, um, you know, might be struggling to find their happy ending, but you'll find it, you know, you just, sometimes it takes a move. Like sometimes you literally have to move to a different place. Sometimes you have to, you have to go through some really hard stuff, but you'll find it, which is, which is good. Um, All right. Well, thank you, Ben, for being on my show, my podcast. Um, you're the second person, as I told you earlier, that I'm recording. And this is the type of stuff that people need to hear. People need to connect. And I hope if just one person hears it, that was kind of like your dad in the beginning who had those blinders on and was not waking up. If it helps them and kind of spurs them towards the other side, then I'm happy. So thank you again for sharing with us. Yeah. Thank you so much. This is a really awesome project that you're working on and I'm just really happy to be a part of it. Amazing.